everybody. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. If you want to know more about us or connect with us as a church, then please go to our church website and we'd love to get to know you some more. But here's today's message. We hope it blesses you, encourages you and inspires you. Hi, my name is Graham Ross. I'm one of the three regional ministers for the Eastern Baptist Association. I wanted to take a few moments to share some thoughts with you uh, from Romans 12, verse 1 to 2, that says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. I was thinking about how often when people preach about uh, or talk about serving God or being transformed by God, there's often an emphasis on trying harder. How can we try hard to serve God? How can we aim to make more effort to be better Christians? And I was really struck by the way that this passage begins with the phrase, in view of God's mercy. It begins with remembering, remembering Jesus, remembering the love of God. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him won't perish but will have everlasting life. The God who's in heaven where there's no suffering, there's no crying, there's no pain, comes down into this world. He comes amongst us. The God who's allergic to sin comes to a world where he's immersed in it. This sense of God being allergic to sin or God not being able to tolerate sin almost makes God sound a bit snobby, but, but, but it's not. Nothing could be further than the truth. I don't know if you've ever watched the news and you've had to turn it off because it was too upsetting. Many of us saw the, the video of the, the killing of George Floyd and it was horrendous to watch. God saw that happen. God was present. But more than that, God sees on his presence at the killings of hundreds and thousands of people that are killed needlessly and, and without justice and for, for no real purpose in horrendous ways. God sees, God witnesses. According to the United Nations, 25,000 people die each day. They die because of hunger and related causes. And, and we hear that and that sounds horrendous to us. But God is present. God is present in the lives of each of those people, his children, his creation, part of his creation who he loves. We can turn the news off, but God is present. He can't turn his back on the world that he has made. But rather than pressing reset, rather than wiping us out, God starts again. God launches a rescue plan, not a reset, a rescue plan. He sends his son Jesus who dies on the cross. As he dies on the cross, he takes the sin of the world, the sin that separates us from him. He deals with it. He takes it away, removing the barrier between you and him. We're free now to get to God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. I'm really struck by the words of C.T. Studd, who was a famous England cricketer. And he actually played in the first test match between England and Australia in 1882. Uh, where uh, the Ashes hold began when, when Australia won. He played in that match. He was a member of the England cricket team. He gave it all up to become a missionary. And he famously said this. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And there's almost this sense that Paul is getting to in this passage that if 
Jesus is God, if we view God's mercy, then we, we have no choice but to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. We don't choose to serve God because we ought to try hard, because that's what a good Christian does. We view God's mercy and we think, my goodness, if Jesus did all this for us, if he came to this world, if he died, if he rose from the dead and he did all this to offer us salvation and a relationship with God now and forever, then how can we respond but to offer our lives as living sacrifices? I find these verses overwhelming because Paul who writes them isn't shy at telling people what to do. He was pretty bossy. And yet he says to them, I urge you to offer. It's a choice. My goodness. It's a choice that we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. God could command us. God could say, don't you know you have to? But he doesn't. He wants us to respond to him in love. He wants us to realise, as the passage is saying, this is our true and proper worship. That Lots of us at the moment are missing church. We're missing the ability to gather with other Christians. And that's, that's right and that's understandable. If we think we have to gather with other Christians because that's what true worship is, then we've really lost the plot. Paul reminds us that the true and proper worship, the worship that God primarily wants, is that we offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. The whole of our lives being offered to him. Will we do that? Are we willing to offer him our lives, realising that if we sing and we gather in worship, that's nice too and God loves that and he appreciates our worship. But without us offering our lives, it almost counts for nothing. God wants the whole of our lives. He wants our skills, our time, our money. We're not so good at giving God our money, are we? At a time when many churches are struggling, some people are really financially struggling. Uh, lots of people I know are actually better off. And it makes me wonder how ch some churches, and I apologise if your church is struggling, this may not relate to you, and I'm sorry, I'm not trying to get at you. I'm just trying to make the point. For some churches, uh, with the demographics that we have in those churches, those churches should be better off financially. Because people who are not driving around and travelling all over the place or having to cancel stuff have got more money than ever. What do we do with that money? Do we pocket it? Do we, do we think, oh, I'm going to do what I want with it? Or are we willing to say to God, as part of my offering my body, my whole life to you as a living sacrifice, I'm willing to ask you what you want me to do with that money. And that might be giving it to the church. It might be giving it to God's work in a different way, giving it to someone in need. The key is to be asking God, what is it that you want? How will we offer our living bodies, the whole of our lives, as a living sacrifice? Here's some video of my dog, Harriet. We rescued her uh, when she was about one year old and her recall was terrible. She, she's uh, a kind of lurch, a saluki. We're not 100% sure what she is really. She's really fast and uh, when she gets off the lead and she runs, uh, you don't quite know where she's going to end up. My wife Tracy trained her really well and as you can see in the video, she calls her and she comes back. But the trouble with Harriet is she's got really good recall until she sees a pigeon or a squirrel. And then she's like, she can hear Tracy calling, but she's like, but there's a squirrel there and I can eat it. And so she's gone. She's distracted. The dog who is usually so devoted is completely lost in something else because she has become distracted. Is that us? Is that who we are? Do we serve God wholeheartedly with the whole of our lives, with all that we have? Or does God get what we have left over? The Bible tells us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, to love our neighbour as ourselves. We demonstrate this by making disciples of all nations, three of the greatest commands in scripture. 
at what level of prominence do they have in our lives? If we're serving God wholeheartedly, then surely these three things come first and are considered above all else. Do they? Do they get a look in? Or are they things that we devote our spare time to? Who is Lord of our lives? Is it Jesus? Or is it the church? What is demanding our attention at the moment? Is it how we serve Jesus? Or whether we can get in our buildings or not? Praise God for church buildings, they're fine. I'm not criticising them. I'm just asking the question, who's Lord? What is driving us? Are we, are we obsessing over a building when we should be obsessing over Jesus? It's the question, how do we serve him with the whole of our lives, wherever we are? And if we can't use a building, we'll serve him another way. And perhaps he's saying to us in this, we've been over-reliant on our buildings. Who knows? That's going to be for each church to wrestle with, those of us that have buildings. As I was praying and preparing, I kept, oh, this phrase came to me and I find it quite disturbing and challenging. And the phrase that came to me was, do we relate to Jesus as servants or customers? Do we relate to Jesus as servants or customers? There's nothing more infuriating. Perhaps you're in a coffee shop, you're queuing up and uh, you, the person who's about to serve you is on their phone and will be like, wait a minute. Or they go and talk to one of their colleagues about something else. And you're just standing there as a customer saying, I'm fuming, thinking, don't you know that you're here to serve me? Uh, is that our attitude to God? Do we fume with God because he's not responded to our calls because we've dinged the bell on the counter and he's not come to do what we want him to do do we come to him as customers or do we come to him as people who are sacrificially laying down the whole of our lives saying to Jesus what can I do for you how can I serve you today and it's a radically different way of thinking about it it's a lot more biblical way of thinking about it I was reminded as I was preparing this sermon of the five areas that we felt uh, as the Eastern Baptist Association. We, we gathered some ministers on Zoom and we listened together. And there were five areas that were linked around discipleship. And we really felt God was speaking to us about them. And I was really challenged as I thought about them and realised how they drifted out of my consciousness. This idea that discipleship is more than programmes. That we need to come back to, to discipleship as the primary focus. If a programme helps us make disciples, that's fine. But it's possible some of our programmes have been distracting us from what it means to make disciples. That discipleship is relational. That we can't make disciples effectively by, by talking to them in a lecture style and that's it. That just doesn't work. That's not the whole story. Discipleship, as we say with Jesus, is relational. We need to come back to an emphasis of how we disciple people in a relational way. Perhaps one-to-one, -one, perhaps in small groups. And that might supplement a service where someone talks from the front. And that's okay and that's our choice. But relational is a key element. Discipleship happens where God places us, that God deploys us, God distributes us. Have we become too church focused and do we need to regain this sense of the whole of our lives is for Christ and we are disciples in those places and we need to be discipled to know how to live out our faith in those places as we disciple one another relationally. Some of it has to be about our everyday lives and as we disciple one-to-one -one or in small groups, perhaps a prayer triplet, it becomes much more focused on our everyday lives. Discipleship in lockdown has helped us to make new connections. Many churches are engaging online with far more people than they ever have done in their buildings. And it's quite challenging, isn't it, as we, we are able to go back to our buildings at some point, and we will, it will happen. How do we carry on? Those who've been successful at this online thing, how do, how do we can continue in that? Those who've been really successful in, in communicating with their community in other ways, perhaps with a newsletter, 
or perhaps by doing shopping or, or engaging with practical acts. How do we carry this on? How do we not get so busy running a church programme again that we lose sight of connecting with people beyond the church in meaningful ways? And the fifth area was that discipleship means still listening to and going deeper with God. And I wonder sometimes if we lose sight of this in our busyness of serving God, we lose sight of the fact that he's supposed to be leading us. He's the one who's supposed to be empowering us and equipping us. And in running around like headless chickens, sometimes we need to just stop and say to Jesus, OK, we're really going to need your help with this. We really need you to lead us. Is this OK what we're doing? And in fact, we want you to show us what you're doing, Jesus, so that we can join in with it. And the passage we're looking at says, we present our bodies that are holy and pleasing to God. We offer ourselves to God from a place of security. Because let's be honest, lots of us look at our lives and think, well, is God really going to want it? Does God want me? And God says, of course I do. I love you. You're my children. He's not going to judge us or beat us round the head if we're not perfect. He loves us, but he longs for us to work with him, to recognise that he is Lord. The passage goes on and says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't copy, don't, don't try and blend in, don't be the same as everyone else. I don't know if you've seen the, the film Wonder or perhaps you've read the book. And uh, it's a film, uh, it's a story about uh, a young boy, 10 year old called Augie, who has a, a facial disfigurement. And he's been homeschooled all his life. And when he goes out, he often wears a space helmet to hide the fact that he just looks different. Towards the beginning of the story, we find him going to school for the first day as a 10-year-old, and he's absolutely terrified. He really doesn't want to go. His dad takes his helmet off him. His, his kind of safety, his, his thing he hides behind is gone when he's going into school. And his sister leans forward and she gives him a hug. And she says these words to him. You can't blend in if you were born to stand out. You can't blend in if you were born to stand out. It's a beautiful moment in a lovely film, but I almost feel that that could be God speaking to all of us as his people, as Christians, saying, why are you trying to blend into the world just to fit in and keep a low profile when I've created you to stand out, when you've been born again, that you might shine like stars in the universe, that you should be shining your light like a city on a hill, that rather than trying to blend in and be the same as everyone else. The world is such, uh, it's a wonderful place in all sorts of ways, but there are some things that are really wrong with it. We see such a selfishness. And do we join with this selfishness that, that I will do what I want, I'll do what, I, what suits me. If it feels good, do it. I, I'm looking after number one. Or do we as Christians prefer one another in love? Do we recognise that the, this church thing isn't something that personally belongs to me? It's something that we share together and we lovingly, lovingly prefer one another in love. Perhaps it's busyness. It disturbs me the way some people wear busyness as a badge of honour. And churches are the worst at this, where there's this kind of sense of, look how busy we are. We never use that language. It's always, look how much we do to serve Jesus. And it's almost like if we can be busy, we can be more honouring to God. And I just think that's the way of the world. In John chapter 4, Jesus sits down by a well because he's tired. And hours later, a whole village has heard the good news. That's not the way we work, is it? We get busier to connect with the world. Jesus slowed down and made space to connect with people. And I think we need to come back to scripture and explore that busyness isn't necessarily something that we should regularly be as church. And perhaps that's a distraction. 
There's a real blame culture in society where people hold on to hurts as an unwillingness to forgive. As Christians, do we buy into that sometimes? Some church meetings I've been to, and I really think there is this sense of I've hold on to a hurt. There is a blame culture here. And we've really got to be challenged by, are we being driven by the world? Are we trying to conform? Or are we becoming more like Jesus? The passage goes on. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And as I thought about this, I thought about the potter and the clay. And God being like the potter that shapes us. And, and scripture talks about the, the, would the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? You can't do that. Who, who do you think you are to be shaping me like that? Is that our attitude? Because actually, to put my hands, for, to, to put my life, for us to put our lives in the hand of anyone and say, shape me and make me what you want, is absolutely terrifying. Because we like to be in control. We like to be able to make choices. Will we come to God and say, actually, God, I so recognise that you have my best interests at heart. I so recognise that you love me in the whole world that I'm willing to let you be the potter uh, and I will be the clay. You can shape me. I surrender. We're probably a bit back a bit to Harriet the dog, aren't we? Because we probably all would buy into that idea at some level and would, would use those words and say to God, you are Lord, no problem, we, we get that. But we get distracted or we bottle out and we want to change or we want to retain some control. I think the thing that God is really calling us to at this time is to realise that disciple making is our primary activity. We're not called to run churches as our primary activity. We're called to make disciples. And of course, we run churches in order to make disciples. That's OK. But we need to do it the right way round. The way we run a church has to help us to make disciples last thing I want to say about God transforming us is that God is often at work in the pain. God is often at work in the suffering. This lockdown has been a terrible time for so many people. Some people are under pressure financially. Some people have lost work. Domestic abuse is on the increase. Uh, some of you listening to this will know our family situation where uh, we have an autistic teenager with fetal alcohol syndrome and uh, she's as big as I am now. She's huge. And sometimes she turns violent to the point where we need to call the police. And I share that with you and it's, kind of, it's almost embarrassing. But at the same time, things like this need to be said. We need to realise that this is a reality for some people. God is at work in the suffering. God is at work in the pain. In some of the difficult times we've had with, with our teenager in lockdown where she's been at home, it's been awful. And sometimes it's been, it's been wonderful as well. We've had some good moments too. But in it, God is at work. God is at work in suffering. I was reminded of the famous prayer of Bishop Nikolai Velimrovich. And he was a Serbian bishop who spoke out against the Nazis uh, in World War II. He was imprisoned and he was tortured. And this was his famous prayer. Bless my enemies, O Lord. Even I bless them and do not curse them. Enemies have driven me into your embrace more than friends have. And I hear that prayer from a man who was tortured. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to respond to it. I think, I, and it puts my difficulties into perspective, that, that this, this Bishop Nikolai had, had so understood the love of God that he could pray this prayer to bless his enemies. And he's seen God at work in his suffering. 
As we surrender to God, as we allow him to transform us, we need to realise that this is about letting go. It's not about trying harder. And in fact, trying harder sometimes doesn't help us, does it? Um, thankfully, in this video frame, you can just see me like this. And uh, you, you don't have to put up with the fact that I'm not the most athletic of people. If I was to decide now to go out and run a marathon, I would injure myself. I would pull a muscle. I'd probably have a heart attack. It wouldn't help. I could try as hard as I wanted to and I wouldn't be able to do it. But I could decide that in several months' time I want to run a marathon. Don't worry, I'm not going to. Or perhaps you want me to, I don't know. I could decide that and I could begin to train a small amount each day. And as I train, I can build myself up to the point where it's possible. And sometimes as Christians, we just try really hard and we get fed up when it doesn't work. And what we need to do is step back and say to God, OK, Jesus, this discipleship thing means that we surrender to you as Lord and you teach us stuff. So can you train us? that we might move towards becoming the people that you want us to be. And we recognise that it will take time for that to happen. Remembering what God has done has consequences. As we remember God's mercy, we should be compelled to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. We should be open to being transformed by the renewing of our mind. But in it all, it's not about trying hard. It's about coming to Jesus and saying, will you remind me? who you are. Will you remind me of your grace? I'm not doing this out of just a duty or blind duty or devotion. I'm doing this because I understand more of your love for me and I cannot respond in any other way. In this time of lockdown, will we relearn what is central to Christianity or will we resist and continue to think, perhaps if we have done, that church and our faith is really about us? I want to finish by reading a parable that I wrote a few years ago. Once there were two brothers, Bill, who was very athletic, and Ben, who was not. Some of you might think they had uh, another sibling called Weed, and that's naturally not true. Bill had won lots of races, and in contrast, Ben could have won awards for lounging around. Bill loved sports day. Ben hated it. It was the big race day. And Ben was listening to the crowd cheering as he watched his brother sprinting around the track. To this day, he's still not sure what came over him. He could hear the people cheering, and all he knew was he wanted people to cheer from him for him too. So he leapt over the barrier. Well, actually, he kind of tried to leap over, but he kind of fell over it. He got up, jumped onto the track and began to run. He made it at least 20 metres before collapsing. And to this day... People are still astonished that he made it that far. He lay on the track sobbing until he felt his father wrapping his arms around him, picking him up and taking him home. Later, as they were talking, Ben explained to his father that he wanted to please him and to make him proud in the same way that he believed that his dad was proud of his older brother, Bill. And Ben's dad began to explain how he loved him and he was proud of him anyway. There was nothing he could do to make him love him more. But Ben was determined. So the father said, that's fine, but you've got to stop trying and you've got to let me train you. So the father went out and got a coach to work alongside him. The coach uh, helped Ben to know what to do. He helped him to find the right clothes. He helped him to learn what it was to run. He helped him to have a healthy diet. They worked together and over time, the going was slow. And I mean really, really slow. But over time, they began to make progress. Months later, 
the race came. Ben believed it was going to be his day. He trained hard, he was in good shape, he felt good, he was moving quicker than he'd ever had done before. He looked athletic, he felt athletic, and he was raring to go. He raced that day with everything that he had, and as he came into the home straight, he was neck and neck with his brother. Ben was straining and gasping and really trying. Bill was cruising as they were neck and neck. And as they came towards the finishing line, if it was one of those Disney movies, the music would have started and Ben would have won. That's not what happened. Bill eased past him and finished the race. Ben collapsed. He was devastated. He'd run the race, hearing his father cheering, hearing his coach shouting. He'd done everything he could for them and he really felt that he'd let them down. As he lay on the track sobbing, he felt some arms around him and it was his father. I'm so proud of you, Ben. Look how hard you tried. You're amazing. The transformation in your life, the way your life has been renewed is absolutely incredible. And then his coach was there saying, Ben, you've really learned so well. You've done amazingly. And Billy's saying to him, Ben, that race was amazing. You tried so much harder than I did. It was absolutely incredible. I'm so proud of you as my brother. Ben, thinking about this in the coming days, realised how blessed he was. He had a loving father who accepted him unconditionally. He had an inspiring older brother who showed him the way through an example and a coach who was always there to guide him. God is our father, isn't he? He loves us. And even when we're not brilliant Christians, even when we get stuff wrong, we know he loves us unconditionally. He cheers for us. God cheers us on and we need to realise that. If we turn to God, we have a brother, an older brother, Jesus, who pioneers the way. He shows us how to live the life. He demonstrates. And Jesus said when he left this earth, before he left this earth, he says to his disciples, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm sending you another one of me, someone like me, someone to draw alongside you. And that is the Holy Spirit. He's like a coach in life as he teaches us practically how to live the Christian life. He's always with us, always wanting to listen and always wanting to guide us. And so this is the final thought. As we run the race of life, will we run for ourselves or will we run for Jesus? Will we remember his mercy, offering all that we are consistently, as consistently as we can, trying to avoid distractions? And will we pray that God would renew our minds so that we would be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. God, we come to you as the potter. We pray that you would take our lives, you would mould us, you would shape us. We thank you for your love and your patience. You know that sometimes we get distracted. Sometimes we focus on the wrong things. Help us from this day, through the power of your Holy Spirit, as the coach working alongside us. Help us from this day because of the inspiration of looking at our older brother, Jesus, inspiring us as he demonstrates your mercy. Help us as we think of your mercy and love, God, in sending your Son to save us. Help us as we do these things to respond in the way that T. Studd did by saying, if Jesus be God and died for me, nothing can be too difficult for me to do for him. Amen. Thanks for listening.